I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to the Magnificast, the podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Dean Detlaff, a PhD student at the Institute for Christian Studies in Toronto. And I'm Matt Bernico. I teach media studies at Greenville University in Greenville, Illinois. But this week, I'm not in Greenville, Illinois at all. I'm in Toronto, Canada. Here we are. We're cruising around town. We're seeing all the sights. We're going to all the places, all your favorite landmarks of Toronto. It's so hot. <laughs> it's pretty hot. Even when it rains, it's hot right now. It rained a lot yesterday, and it was just hot rain. Yeah, it was hot rain. My apartment is hot. We're, we live above a coffee shop, so I feel like all the heat from the coffee just comes up. It rises into our apartment, and it stays here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, so this week we're not going to do a Reddit goof because um, we did a goof that was in real life that's even bigger than any Reddit goof that you could possibly do. So Sorry, um, wait. I have to interrupt you because it's so hot that I'm watching Matt's glasses fog up in real time as we're talking. That's how hot it is. It's, the it windows sucks. are closed. The windows are closed to keep out the bus noises. The fans are off to give you all that good audio quality. And I just want you to know that we're suffering for the cause. We are suffering for the cause and suffering for Jesus right here. <laughs> for real, then. All right. As you're saying. As I was saying, we didn't do a Reddit goof this week because we did the biggest goof on ourselves. And we went to a restaurant that is absolutely bizarre. And I don't know how else to respond to it and pro process through this trauma other than just talking about it <laughs> openly and honestly um, <laughs> on this podcast. Yep. So we went to a restaurant uh, in Toronto called Garfield Eats. <laughs> it's You can't imagine it. That's how I feel. Try. It. Yeah. <laughs> Even if someone tells you about it, you don't know what it is. You know, like, you, you could say, it's a Garfield-themed pizza restaurant, but, like, it is, but it just doesn't even do it justice. No, a Garfield-themed pizza restaurant is not... Selling it short would be the wrong way to phrase it, but misrepresenting it would be for sure true. <laughs> it's so it's so much more and so much less, actually. <laughs> yeah, if you're a podcast person, if you like podcasts, you may have heard of Garfield Eats already from My Brother, My Brother and Me, which is a podcast we like to listen to, and they did a whole... It, it was so wild to them that they sacrificed an entire half of their episode or more to just talking about Garfield eats and how crazy it is and it was so wild to us we sacrificed our bodies to go <laughs> eat it and we did it we got the garfacino we Ugh. got a big pizza and we ate it in a park and uh you know i don't feel great about it now on this side of the yeah. decision i think maybe we shouldn't have here's the thing though it's hard to discern what the real culprit is what the real uh cause of this bodily trauma might be because we went to garfield eats and we followed that up with another product of late capitalism and that is a place called the Poop Cafe. 
The poop cafe is unreal. It's themed after poop emojis, but also just poop in general. Um, It's also, again, hard to explain. If you order a coffee, you get it in a little toilet. If you order food, it also comes in a toilet. If you order a waffle, it looks like a little poop. So there's a lot going on here in this trip. Lots of weird culinary adventures. Um, You know, it's really a Baudrillardian experience. Um, I I can't really, I can't really say anything else about it. It's just too, (laughs) it's an, it's an ineffable experience. Yeah. What possessed us to do it is not entirely clear still to me now, but it just seems like if you're a communist and you spend all your time thinking about how crazy capitalism is, sometimes you just have to see for yourself. Like it's crazy when you're, when you're suffering under it, but it's also crazy in the kinds of things that it makes up under the guise of freedom, people's political freedom. Someone had to file, two people had to file business licenses for these two businesses at, like at Toronto City Council right now on the books, there's there's a piece of paper somewhere that says the Poop Cafe with like a business license, and they got it. Someone awarded it to them. It's the same with Garfield Eats. It's bad. It's bad. <laughs> uh, ca- the capitalist conception of freedom is being able to open a <laughs> restaurant that's called the Poop Cafe, and I, if that's not an argument for socialism, I don't know what is. Listen, it's bad, but also. I did eat all the ice cream. I did and too, and I'm not mad about it. It was fine. I feel sickly and bad. My body's revolting against me, but yeah. it was good ice cream. There were a bu- there was a whole gaggle of children, and they were having a good time. That's true. Uh, okay, well, so that's what we did. <laughs> we did a lot of that, um, but we're also going to do a podcast right now. Wait, wait. We did something cooler. We did something related to this whole what? situation. We went to the Games oh, Workers Union. That's right. Uh, well, Games Workers Industry thing, but we were there for the union. That's right. Yeah, uh, we went to a really great um, panel about organizing and video games and media in general, the media industry. Guess what? Also bad. Bad for different reasons. Still capitalism. That's true, but uh, guess what? There's a really good way out of all that badness, and that's yeah. to join a union. <laughs> yep. Uh, a good friend of ours, Daniel Joseph. Maybe someday we'll find an excuse to get him on this podcast. Uh, but he does really great work in media studies, but he is working with the Games Workers Union, so... If you're a person who's in that industry or whatever, I mean, we have a good authority that they're cool. Yeah, so just do a do a big Google search for Game Workers Union, and uh, you can find some good stuff. Man, the coolest thing is that they have these like pamphlets um, that are about the Game Workers Union, but they look like uh, issues of Nintendo Power. <laughs> yeah, and there's one that has like uh, <laughs> there's one that has like Animal Crossing characters on it, and yeah. like Tom Nook is like the boss. And there's <laughs> another one that has Waluigi on it, which is also pretty good too. It's so, really good. The aesthetic is great. Yeah, they know what they're doing. It's good propaganda. It's fantastic. So all you game workers out there, <laughs> this is your chance to get unionized. <laughs> what a cool thing! All right, that was just to establish our socialist cred. After so those we mistakes. So we did both. We did yeah. two capitalist mistakes, and then but we did go to a, a big union thing. So yeah. it's pretty good. It's pretty good. All right, that's not what we're talking about this week, though. This week, uh, because we've just been running around really busy, we usually, you know, when we have time to record something ourselves, we like to read a thing and think about that thing and try to think together um, about it. But this week, because we didn't have time to do that. We decided to talk more about a media phenomenon that we've both been seeing and thinking and talking about together for a while. And we're going to try to unpack that phenomenon a little bit using some of the tools that we have created or gathered or put together from other folks we've had on the Magnificast in the past. And this week, that media phenomenon is the question of whether or not Mike Pence at all (laughs) is a real Christian or a fake Christian. That's right. So uh, in this episode, we're not going to read a new thing. We're just going to get more mileage out of the things we've already read. <laughs> it's pretty but good. it's good. It's good. It's good. It's a, a applied magnificasting. <laughs> That's right. Magnificast applied. Well, okay. 
So at this point, uh, the immigration situation along the United States southern border is hard to miss. You've probably all seen it on the internet, on the news. You've talked about it with your family and your pastors, and you know everyone has their their bad takes and their good takes. And there's a pretty clear good one that uh, they're bad, but whatever. The dehumanization and incarceration of immigrants uh, from South and Central America has become a visible and pressing moral issue. If you don't see that in this podcast, it might not be for you. <laughs> You Sorry, should this see is your it. first episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, weird. If you're not convinced already, then this is a, yeah, a weird first episode. Um, you know, you saw people like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez show up at the uh, in, uh, show up at the border and like kind of tour the prison and see the kids and cry looking at them and like you know a very important thing that illuminates kind of like what's going on there. It's good that she went. It's good that the other Democrat folks went too. Like yeah, no one would have known otherwise. Well, you would have suspected, but it's cool that they made a more national conversation, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. They did that. It's a good thing. Um, right. So uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez went to um, the, some of those like uh, concentration camps. But then another, another person went, too, who we're less thrilled about, and that's Vice President of the United States of America, Mike Richard Pence. <laughs> I think that's really his, last, his middle name. I'm not sure, though. Yeah, well, sounds right. Didn't do my research. I think that was just what I scanned from Wikipedia. Incredibly uncreative white Protestant name. <laughs> I, mean, I guess he was born a Catholic, but nevertheless. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there you go. So Mike Richard Pence, um, he went to the concentration camps in the U.S. Southwest. He went to, you know, some that were overflowing with um, uh, men immigrating. And it's just like d- disgusting looking um, conditions. It looks bad. It looks like a bad situation. Like they need to be liberated immediately. But Mike Pence is, you know, um, you probably saw the iconic photo of him looking over the crowd um, just like disapprovingly yeah. <laughs> un- unhappy. Every single uh, article about it. Um, references how he looked chilly or icy, but I don't know. He looked grump- he looked grumpy. Yeah, crabby and constipated. <laughs> crabby and constipated, uh, like an old man showing up to a buffet and there's no shrimp left. Yeah, it, it is like that, and it's actually a good analogy, despite it being so banal, because that's exactly how he treats it. I think. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, like completely dispassionately. Yeah, yeah, totally. So um, yeah, Mike Pence shows up to some of the same facilities that uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez uh, visited a month ago but had a radically different experience, right? Where Ocasio-Cortez reported on people in need of legal and medical aid and they needed like hygiene. Um, Pence saw a group of people who were being treated completely fairly, right? It's like this completely um, bonkers thing where two people are looking at the same thing and seeing drastically different pictures. And hmm, I wonder why. Well, like he admitted that he said it was overcrowded. That's the word that he used. But the implication is that there's too many people coming. That's the way he spun it. That the, the problem is that the problem is so huge that we might even need more of these. Right. And like Ocasio-Cortez, I mean, and just like the general, like the left in general, like construed broadly as like, you know, these camps are bad. Uh, whereas Mike Pence is like, we need more money for beds. Yeah, right. Uh, no, thanks. Yeah. Just let them out, let them out of there. That's yeah. crazy. Um, yeah, well, spinning out from these events uh, is a conversation about the seeming lack of influence from Mike Pence's religious background, right? Mike Pence is, like Dean said, born Catholic, but extremely religious. He's a Protestant now, a weird evangelical. He has some millenarian ideas about uh, just some spooky stuff, spooky Bible stuff that you might have heard uh, from spooky pastors you've met in your life about the end times and Christian legal uh, discipline and all that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, he's um, one of those weird, bad evangelicals, yeah. for sure. Yeah, um, but people are like, well, um, he's an evangelical, he's a Christian, Christianity influenced him so much, but he doesn't have any compassion for these people who are definitely the least of these, so like, what's up, right? That's like the big conversation right. going on. 
Um, like one, um, one journalist in particular that I think puts it pretty well, um, her name is Mary Papenfus, who wrote an article for Huff, Huffington Post titled Fake Christian Trends on Twitter as Critics Skewer Chili Mike Pence at Migrant Center. Uh, I think a title that's too long, but I'm not better. <laughs> Get one of those space blankets. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so Papenfus says this, uh, Vice President Mike Pence, who has called his Christian faith a dominant influence in his life, Skipped expressing Christ-like compassion Friday at a jam-packed Texas immigrant detention facility where men in cages shouted that they were hungry and hadn't been allowed to bathe for weeks. Um, right, so this is the kind of the sentiment that is on Twitter. and It's, I think, pretty understandable, right? Mm-hmm. He's a Christian. He's supposed, to, he's supposed to be extremely religious, right? So religious that he can't even be in the same room with another woman who isn't his wife. Yeah, that's right. right. The weirdest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> um, someone, Anyway, someone who's supposed to take their, their faith extremely seriously um, but in light of this, um, people started, uh, the, the Twitter conversation shifted though. And they're like, well, he's not acting very Christian-y, right? Like what are Christians supposed to do? They're supposed to be like Jesus and act in a certain way. So, um, out of this kind of like, um, yeah, like out of the friction of like being a Christian, but not doing a, a supposedly Christian thing. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people started using the hashtag, hashtag fake Christian, Right. It's a pretty, it's a, it's a, it's a confused hashtag that I think has some problems to it that we're going to explore here in a minute. Um, so yeah, hashtag fake Christian is just full of like posts that question Mike Pence's religious commitments and like, you know, what does it really mean to be a Christian if you're not going to do the Christian things? You know, it's like, it's just kind of like old conversation about orthopraxy and orthodoxy, mm-hmm. right? It, does, it, does being a Christian mean believing the right thing and doesn't matter what you do or the opposite or some kind of, um, sentiment of both or whatever. Um, but anyways, for example, um, if you were looked at that uh, hashtag, you would see um, a tweet that sounds something like this. This is from um, Brooklyn Dad. <laughs> uh, Brooklyn Dad uh, quotes Levit- Leviticus 19.33 and 34, where he says, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you are foreigners in Egypt. And then he said, uh, Brooklyn Dad goes on to say, someone remind hashtag fake Christian at uh, VP Mike Pence, please. Um, right. So this is like the I think this is an important setup. There's a, a sort of rhetorical form to this uh, thing that's going on with Mike Pence that is worth paying attention to that, like um, uh, on, on Twitter, on Facebook, on social media platforms, on you know journalistic articles. The idea is that um, Mike Pence isn't acting accordingly and that there's this like kind of gotcha moment where mm-hmm. it's like you're a hypocrite because you're not doing the things that uh, we think Christians ought to do. Like, um, and uh, that somehow this like hypocritical gotcha moment will somehow change his mind or I don't really yeah. know what the intention is. Like um, Mike Pence obviously doesn't think he's a fake Christian. Right. <laughs> Even though people on Twitter are yelling at him. Right. Um, this like um, this thing about like fake Christians or, um, you know, the, these gotcha moments of hypocrisy are a thing that like, um, I mean, I've probably always been kind of a part of the discourse about politics and religion, but you definitely see more and more frequently on Twitter because of, you know, different things, especially like, you know, when lots of the abortion ban stuff happened, you'd see people kind of do these, like, you know, these gotcha things to evangelicals and yeah, trying yeah. to get one over on them. Yeah. Like the pro-life thing, right? You're pro-life in this way, but not, not when the baby comes out of the womb or something like that. Yeah. 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 It's a pretty common rhetorical trope. And in, on the one hand, you get it because people don't like hypocrisy. I don't like hypocrisy. People say that they're going to do one thing and they do something else. That's really troubling and annoying and frustrating. And it's especially bad when it affects people's material lives and they cover that over with some claim to follow a religion that says it's compassionate, etc. You can understand the impulse underneath that. 
But I think one thing that we can call attention to, and we'll get more into it in a minute, is how that sort of misses the whole issue that's being presented when someone like Mike Pence, who says he's a Christian, sees a bunch of people suffering in cages and thinks, actually, this is fine. Uh, the point being, he's not being not a Christian per se, so much as he's being a Christian in a bad and dangerous way. And we'll talk about why that's important in just a minute. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, the impulse to call uh, Pence a, like a hashtag fake Christian is fine, right? Like, it's the expression of a certain type of, like, frustration with the situation. And, like, you know, people are going to express frustration in however they want. But rhetorically, I mean, rhetorically, while it might, like, make you feel good, right? It's, like, good to yell at somebody yeah. and tell them how much they suck. I'm for that. <laughs> um, we do it our, enough ourselves. Yeah, no I, doubt about that. Absolutely. Um, so rhetorically, there's like some strength, but like logically, it has a lot of problems. And I think we'll end up doing more harm than good if we let that sort of form the way we think about evangelical Christianity. Yeah, and our own Christianity, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> the fake Christian versus real Christian is yeah. uh, is a rough one. Yeah. Like, um, you know, okay, so, so rather than saying that he's like a fake Christian... Um, just like you said, Dean, we should think about um, the ways that he's actually doing something profoundly Christian <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to oppress people, yeah. uh, especially for being like a different race, for yeah. having sort of the, um, you know, the markers of different nationality and so on, like is a thing that Christians have done for a really long time. If you don't believe that, then you need to learn about Spain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Medieval Spain is where all the answers lie. <laughs> uh, you can go even earlier than that, though, as, for example, Amore Armstrong yeah. has told us, right? All the way back to Paul, if you want. Yeah, that's totally true. I mean, um, the history of Christianity and the way that it thinks about race and identity and true Christianity is pretty ugly. Yeah. And, you know, like the... The impulse, I think, in especially within evangelicalism, right, is about trying to find a pure Christianity that gets around some of, like, the bullshit of, um, you know, Catholicism or mainline Christianity, right? We want to get around these, like, gatekeepers that read mm-hmm. the Bible for us, and we want to have that true, authentic belief or whatever. But I think um, when it comes down to it, what we find is not, like, one Christianity, but many, mm-hmm. and no true Christianity at all, just lots of weird failures and maybe some successes too but a lot of failure yeah well and it's also just many many different kinds of christianities that are sometimes at odds with one another or sometimes at odds over this issue and not that other issue or something like that but very rarely (laughs) i think impossibly personally could you ever find two discrete separate kinds of christianity where one seems true and one seems false it seems better to say they're all different Um, So maybe one way to kind of get into this conversation more is to think also about the rhetoric that just surrounds um, conservatism and morality and religion in general. So, for instance, uh, kind of tied into all this is an article by Renee Graham in the Boston Globe called The Immorality of Mike Pence. And it's not like a bad article overall, but the main thrust of the argument kind of repeats some of these points that we're getting at. And I think it gives us a chance to widen the scope. So the article points us in this direction, thinking about Pence's white supremacist Christianity specifically, right? Like, you could probably say that. He has a Christianity that is white supremacist. Yeah, Um, and that's a true, authentic Christianity. Yes, exactly. Unfortunately. One of of the many. Yeah. Um, But that frames Pence's Christianity as something that sort of masks his immorality, right? So this is, uh, on this take... Uh, His Christianity is the thing that kind of goes in front of all the non-Christian things underneath it. Uh, And I think that's dangerous because 
the fact is, it's, it stems from Mike Pence's Christianity that he would do all of these things that this author thinks are, are wrong or immoral or even non-Christian. And it's an important point to make because it's not the case that when people are being repressive or creating these oppressive structures that they're just denying people's freedom or you know coming down on you or something like that. Uh, they're trying to build society in a certain way, according to a certain set of ideas about how the world works, and in Pence's case, about how God and humanity should relate to one another, for example. You know, all kinds of things that are going into this, and of course many material issues as well. Class interests, racial interests, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I think it's important to recognize how Christianity gets worked into that. Like, it's part of this constructive process. And if we do that, it allows us also to think better about how to resist those kinds of things along the lines of constructing something different, right? Not just, like, hashtag resist or negate this or that other thing, but instead, like, what kind of world do we actually want to replace this one? What kind of constructive ways of putting society together could we think of that would replace these other constructive ways of putting it together. So we're not making an appeal to a natural order or natural freedoms or something like that, but uh, talking more about different kinds of ways of thinking about the world. Yeah, totally. And I think like, hmm. Well, like what's interesting though is that like uh, the point is not to, okay, hang on. So in this like <laughs> conception of Christianity like that we got going here, right? It's, yeah. There's not... Christianity is not one, but it's like all of these different formations of Christianity. And right. sometimes they're tangled up with one another, and sometimes they're completely divergent, and sometimes they look like nothing alike one another, right? Like like the Christianity that I would want to practice shouldn't look anything like Michael Pence. Right. And I hope it doesn't. But, right. Um, you know, probably moments of bias. And yeah. All I'm trying to say is people suck, and I'm one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but, anyways, um, but the point is not to just like take a look at Mike Pence's evangelical Christianity that makes white supremacy an operating principle and try to find ways to reform it. But the point is instead to like find ways to take that apart completely, yeah. just destroy the whiteness in Christianity, destroy evangelism, like an evangelistic Christianity that, that has white supremacy in it. So I think like that, that thinking about Christianity is not one and instead a bunch gives us these, like um, these options to think about starting points and like characteristics of them and like why some Christianities look different than others. And we don't have to do this whole thing about authority of like who actually counts or something like, yeah. like we could even do that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like so weird too, because it's like, you know, the Pope and Catholicism can like excommunicate somebody or mm -hmm. whatever. But like, you know, if you're a, if you're a weird guy like Mike Pence, or even if you're a weird guy like me, it doesn't matter at mm -hmm. all. Like communicate, just excommunicate me. It doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's fine. I'll just go to a different church. Right. Um, so anyways, I think that this, this way of thinking about Christianity as, um, you know, more plasticky or bendy or, mm -hmm. you know, is, um, in, important to thinking through, um, the ways that Christianity ends up being deployed in the world and like what it can actually do. Like what's the yeah. potential of that thing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good way to start talking a little more about how to theologize all this stuff, which is dangerous territory for us. We're not theologians as we like say all the time. But we talked to a few of them, and we like a couple of them. Uh, I've literally read one book of theology. It's Marika Rose. It's the only one that I think I need to read. It's the one, it's the only one everyone needs to read uh, for now. Um, so Marika Rose is a theologian that we had on the show a couple of weeks ago, and I think that she can still help us think through this problem specifically. She offers us a lot of tools to think about it. So just to set it up a bit, we talk a lot about resisting purity narratives on this podcast, 
both in terms of Christianity and politics, right? Like there's a way of saying that your, uh, your faith tradition or your political stance is pure from all the evil that has been done in the name of that thing. Mm-hmm. So in the case of Christianity, it's this, this fake Christian idea, right? That, well, Mike, Mike Pence can't be a real Christian because real Christians wouldn't do that. But that ignores the fact that real Christians have done that for quite a long time. They built a whole world doing that. And in some ways, it's like really baked into Christianity. Right, exactly. Uh, and then there's lots of ways in which this happens on the left, too. That, right, that like my communism is not uh, the communism of X, Y, or Z, uh, and mm-hmm. I don't have to deal with it. Yeah. Like, um, I'll never have to think through those complicated problems. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so we don't like those. All that to say, the purity narrative is too simple and also kind of dangerous. Um, one reason that it's been helpful for us to talk to Marika is that I think she shares that conviction, but she has ways of thinking about why Christians sort of create those purity narratives. So it's not as simple as not wanting to be associated with somebody, but uh, there are some deeper motivations to that too. So when Marika says something like, uh, you know, Christians have a problem with innocence, that's a big thing that she gets into. Mm-hmm. Um, she's trying to say that we kind of don't have the luxury of cutting ourselves off from all of the guilty Christians that we don't like. Instead, we have to take that all on board. And that sucks because we don't want to, right? We don't want to be lumped into the same kind of Christianity as Mike Pence or pick your bad, evil Christian in the world. You know? Joe Osteen. Yeah, Joel Osteen, Rod Dreher. There's also, too many to name. Yeah, I mean, even like the legacy of Christian slavery or, you know, these huge meta things. Like, we want to see ourselves as not part of them. But Marika says we should, mm-hmm. unfortunately. You know, we, we shouldn't endorse those things by any stretch, but we have to recognize that we're not uh, separate from them. Um, And I think that's a really important way to get into the conversation by taking on board the fact that we're unfortunately for better or worse, definitely for worse in this case, you know, in the same boat as Mike Pence. Yeah, it's actually, I mean, it's just such a hard thing. You know, like, I get this, you get this, because we're scholars. We keep, (laughs) like, we know. Yeah, mm -hmm. we have pieces of paper that say. (laughs) It says scholar on it. Uh But it is, like, a really difficult problem that I don't want to write off too easily either, because, like, the entire reason we have things like denominations or, right. um, you know, specific you know, or why we why we associate with specific historical movements of Christianity, why people are Mennonites or Catholics or Methodists or whatever is because that at one point, like that group of people were like, well, this is what it actually means to be a Christian. Right. And these other people, they don't know. Right. So it's like it's this hard problem because like um, if you want to say, well, there's actually a lot of different Christianities and it can look a lot of different ways and people screw it up constantly, including you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard because it does call the entire um, identity of that of Christianity in, into into question, right? Mm-hmm. If all of a sudden that like we all are a part of the bad stuff and not just the good stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, we're all in trouble. Yeah, you can't just, like, cut yourself off and make a new denomination where there's no Mike Pence's. Right. It's actually kind of funny because, okay, like, um, you know, the conservative Christians are always like, well, liberal Christians just want to cherry-pick the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think it's actually the opposite. I mean, everyone cherry-picks the Bible, first yeah. of all. Like, yeah. and, like, good. You should. There's yeah. stuff in the Bible you should never want to quote. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's stuff in the Bible that you should definitely quote. Yeah. Like James. Yeah. Um, but uh, at the same time, um, we not only do we want to cherry pick the Bible, um, but um, we we also cherry pick history. But we shouldn't cherry pick history, right? Right. Cherry pick the Bible all you want, um, <laughs> with with full recognition that there's bad stuff in there. But yeah. uh, you can't cherry pick history and say, "Well, I'm not a part of that Christianity," because right. actually you are. Right. Like the, it's actually a really weird thing too. Like you can't say that you're a part of like, you know, the the new the new evangelical 
covenant of God or whatever, <laughs> but and not recognize in some ways how everything that you're doing now is totally influenced by a weird genealogy of other Christians trying to get it right and just sucking at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. Well, Marika con- contextualizes all of these kinds of responses to a broader historical issue with Christianity, namely that Christians basically built much of the modern world in the West in particular, uh, and also many other places too, um, some sometimes more intensely than others, but nevertheless, you know, we like Christians, there's, there are very few places in the world that Christians didn't touch and then completely make over one mm-hmm. way or another. Uh, but nowadays, things are changing, right? And Marika opens her book, A Theology of Failure, by saying, no matter how you look at it, theology failed. Maybe it failed to install the kingdom of God on earth that people thought they were going to. Maybe it failed to be the, the voice of, of goodness and reason in history. However you want to cash it out, whether you're a reactionary or a, a radical lefty, it failed, right? N- nobody, No Christian vision has really sort of won. It's this really contentious uh, thing in space today. And she says there are kind of three ways of reacting to this, and I think they're really, really useful for the conversation we're thinking through now. So uh, I'm page two of the book, right away. <laughs> as far as I got. Open it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, if you only got this far, it would still be very helpful. Yeah, um, probably. She says this. Faced with a world in which the secular threatens to escape its grasp and become truly independent of Christianity, in which the voices of those whom it is oppressed rise up, to challenge its dominance and stand in judgment upon it, Christian theology can seek to recolonize those people and places that have escaped from its grasp. That's the first one. Mm -hmm. It can try to make itself clean once again by purifying itself of the taint of Christian history. That's what we've just been talking about. Or thirdly, it can confront instead its own failure. So Mike Pence, I think it's safe to say, is in that first category in in a certain way, right? There's lots of different ways of of being in that. Uh, But he tries to, you know, put all of white Christianity's victims back in their place. You know, the people who are driven from their home by Christian imperialism, uh, the people who don't enjoy the privileges of white Christianity because they're Christians of color or people of color. Uh, Mike Pence wants to put them where they belong, and that is in camps for him. And that's the kind of thing that protects white Christianity from its others, right? It's built on that exclusion, and he wants to keep that exclusion going, even if he's excluding other Christians. Uh, So we can talk more about that in a minute, but the liberal or progressive kind of Christian response we've been talking about, I think fits somewhat into that second category, trying to be clean or purified from Christian history. So for them, Mike Pence can't be a Christian because that would mean they're part of the same faith tradition, part of that, that dirty Christian history. Um, it comes from an understandable place like we've been talking about. Like People don't want Jesus to get associated with putting people in prison, and that's good. Like I don't want him to be associated with that either. I, I don't think Jesus would be into it, obviously, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, but it also stops people from recognizing things like Christian privilege or Christian supremacy in society. And even more, I think that it has the danger of repeating some of the exclusionary ways of thinking that Christianity engenders in people like Mike Pence in progressive Christianities too, right? So this you see, especially in liberal Christianities, I think, where they're willing to be critical up to a point and Mm -hmm. then not so much. So they might say something like, uh, these camps are an abomination. What we need is to get them lots of toothbrushes, right? (laughs) Right. So 
they don't necessarily reckon with the idea that there has been uh, a, a total exclusion of a, a whole like group of people for specific reasons. It's the inhumane treatment of them that they they don't like. Right. Um, and that's like an unfortunately very Christian way of, of thinking about like how to solve a social problem. Uh, and it's one that progressive Christians can absolve themselves of thinking is bad because someone like Mike Pence is so much worse. Yeah, I mean, if uh, if all this Mike Pence talk is rubbing you the wrong way, like, we're just taking easy pot shots at some dude. <laughs> I mean, like, Hillary Clinton, you can say a lot of the same things about yeah. her, right? She's, like, a Methodist and, like, a progressive mainline Christian, but also does, you yeah, know, yeah. the same dumb Mike Pence stuff. <laughs> right, right. I mean, she was even, uh, you know, um, in the last election, right before the campaign got into full swing, she was wrestling with how she thought about a place like Honduras, for example, mm-hmm. which the United States actively, not too long ago, under Hillary Clinton's watch intentionally got rid of a lefty social progressive kind of government and installed a right-wing government that has been brutal and has caused lots and lots of people to start migrating to the u.s right so it's the direct fallout of a liberal kind of christianity that has created uh, at least some of the roots of the migration problem that conservative christians are inheriting now yeah well maybe we should talk about that third type of yeah. Christianity, the good one. The good one. <laughs> the good one, but the, the one that's also the most challenging. Oh, the super hard one. It's good and hard. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't actually, it's not like an easy answer is no. why it's awesome. Yeah, it's more like a, a task that we have to set before ourselves. Yeah. I think. So it's not a secret that we dig Marika's third kind of approach here, which is a theology of failure. Uh, and that's where Christians have to admit that we failed and also try to confront that failure in a number of ways. Um, Marika even goes as far as to talk about like dismantling the church out of love for the church. So you recognize that the church has failed so intensely that there's no reforming it. You've just got to abolish it. Yeah. That might be a lot for some people, and that's fine. It's a lot for me, but I, yeah. I, I'm sympathetic. Yeah, uh, I get it. Because anyway. I don't want to go to church in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Souls alive. Uh, so we can talk more about that. People can keep on talking about that. But whatever you think of it, I think what she and other people that we like uh, talking to are good at, at talking about is that if Christians want to address this violence that's done by other kinds of Christians, we can't just assume that we're separate from it or not benefiting from that violence. And that should lead us to some kind of radical conclusions, you know, whatever we think those are. And those conclusions have to come from a place of recognizing that Christianity itself is riven with contradictions and also actively building a world of oppression every day. And it's one that people who say that they're Christians are tying themselves to one way or another. Yeah, this is an unprepared statement and off the cuff, so maybe it's bad. You'll right. tell me, Dean. This is a <laughs> this is a poop emoji ice cream prepared statement. <laughs> That's right. Well, uh, th- thinking about Christianity that way, and like you know, that it's failed, and that like you know, um, you have to deal with that failure. It doesn't mean like not being a Christian anymore, right? Mm-hmm. It just means like doing Christianity in light of its like extremely uh, oppressive and sucky features. It reminds me a lot of this other thing, um, this other philosopher named Gianni Vanamo, who's like a, an Italian philosopher and um, has some pretty weird politics, to say the least. Yeah. Anyways, he wrote this book. He's like really influenced by Derrida, and he wrote this one book called Belief. Yeah. And uh, he has this whole thing, though, that's about weak faith. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's really, I guess the thing that makes it seem similar is it's like you have to recognize um, the, all, all the really bad stuff that, that, you know, Christianity has done. Um, but you keep doing it, but with a sense of weakness where you like definitely could be wrong. I guess it's just like a sense of humility mm. um, or like an epistemic humility when you're doing Christianity that like 
you know, you can keep doing Christianity from the perspective that you think is good and the one that is, like, convicting for you, but also, like, do it very carefully because you probably suck at it. <laughs> yeah. I think it's an interesting connection to make. Um, Marika herself talks about Caputo in her book, right. who has a really similar thing, and he does weak theology and all that kind of stuff, too, although mm-hmm. there are differences between him and Fatima or whatever. The good thing about Fatima is that his books are way shorter. His books are way shorter and way easier to read. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but one thing, okay, so I learned a lot from all those people, all the deconstructive Christian types, I guess. Yeah. Um, but uh, where I think they have a big blind spot, and one thing that Marika pulls out, is actually they kind of ironically miss a lot of the material problems that Christianity not only produces, but reproduces. Hmm. Um, and so they get at a lot of the kind of patterns of thinking that Christianity produces and reproduces, and they throw a wrench in there. But even someone like Vadima, who is a certain kind of communist. Right. <laughs> asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. <laughs> a weak communist. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, even he has a hard time, I think, connecting the material dots. And Marika is, like, really good at sort of uh, forcing their hand anyway and being like, well, you know, is this really enough to dismantle the stuff that we've built? Yeah. All that to say... A good connection, but one for some productive uh, agreements and disagreements. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't really know what to think about it either. It just was the connection I made in my mind. Yeah. I mean, it just becomes one of those things where, like, you know, okay, so if you're going to do Christianity in light of its failures, and, like, you're still committed to doing it, it just means that, like, the project of, like, Christianity, whatever that really means for you, is one that is, like, uncertain, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's totally, like, you know, if you're a Christian there are a whole lot of different things you could believe eschatologically, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, um, you you can still believe that, like, uh, ultimately God saves everybody um, and that, like, the in one way or another, you know, God through Christ will redeem all of humanity. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, whatever. We hope so. Mm-hmm. Right? But it's all... But it's never sure that, like, the church will actually do any of that. <laughs> right. Right. For sure. For sure. And I think that's, like, a troubling idea, um, but also a really important one to recognize that, like... Um, like, whatever you're doing, I guess all I'm trying to say is whatever you're doing at your church it might be cool, it might not be cool, uh, but maybe it won't work, <laughs> you know? And I guess that's a bummer. Um, or And the other challenging part is, like, maybe it will work and it will create problems that you didn't think that it would. Yeah, that's totally. That's the other challenging bit. Like, what's so great about Marika's approach is the premise that you're always going to be failing is basically a really... I don't think it, like, insulates you from, you know, making mistakes, but on the contrary, it affirms that you will make mistakes. And it it does a good job of allowing you to sort of do something and recognizing that in doing it, you're not actually saving the world or you're not creating a, a final solution to a problem that will never have its own problems or accidents. Yeah, it also makes me think, too, of like, um, well, I don't want to like get into the, the specifics of the situation I'm in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, um, sometimes in Christian institutions, whether it be churches or whatever, um, some of the failures end up coming from the sense of like longevity or needing to survive mm. rather than just like letting it die mm-hmm. because it did fail or whatever. Right. So it's the, also the sense in which like whatever you're doing might be important or it might've been good for a while, but like if it dies, it dies. And like, there'll be some other Christian institution that does something else later. So just like chill out about it. Yeah, it's true. For sure. For sure. Yeah. A lot of Christians have trouble having the courage to accept that maybe it's good that they failed one way or another. Yeah. Or that like the, their failure isn't the end of, christendom yeah right or if it was maybe it'd be good but <laughs> yeah well their failure should be the end of christendom i guess <laughs> but what i mean is it's like not the end of christianity <laughs> yes that's right yeah sure um well 
one thing that Marika does at the end of her book, <laughs> if you get that far, I did. Yeah, uh, <laughs> is to suggest kind of a lot of these these different ways of thinking too, right? She talks about what it would mean to still call yourself a Christian with all of this in mind, taking all these things on board. And she has this really neat prompt for thinking where she says, what might Christianity become if we begin to think theologically from the position of the heretic, the witch, the slave? So from the position of all these people that have been excluded historically by Christianity. And I think in this case, it's really helpful to extend that to say, you know, what, what could Christianity be if we thought theologically from the position of a detained migrant or a prisoner or a deportee, you know, somebody who's, whose residency status is vulnerable or without citizenship? Mm-hmm. Uh, what would Christianity look like to think of it from there? Right. I think that's a really useful way to just start thinking of Christianity differently because it would lead you to a lot of different conclusions. Right. Like you might not care so much if Mike Pence is a Christian or not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you might care more about liberation. Right. So I think that's exactly the the kinds of questions that are brought up by this, right? Like, well, maybe it would change the way you think about resisting other Christians. Mm-hmm. So you don't resist them by talking about fake Christianity and real Christianity. You resist them by talking about incarceration, you know, things that, (laughs) like, uh, it's a Christian logic that has Christian roots. And maybe Christians are uniquely able to interrogate those roots some way or another, but maybe they're also not. Maybe they just need to be abolitionists, and and that's it, right? Uh, There's nothing specifically Christian about it. Just get into it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that it's helpful to change the conversation in that way because you can also start talking about... uh, the material causes of these forms of suffering. They're not necessarily just theological, though there are theological reasons for it. Uh, It isn't, the big problem is not that Mike Pence is or isn't a Christian. He doesn't think that you're a Christian, probably, most yeah. likely, what, yeah. you know, if you, if you really ask them flat out, to be honest. If you listen to this podcast and you're like, Mike Pence, am I a Christian? He'd be like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, probably not. And then he'd uh, be like, why are you in the same room with me? My, yeah. Where's my wife? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're a woman, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Help! <laughs> He's got to pull <laughs> pull that ripcord. The communists are here! Yeah, the eject button that gets him out of all these situations. <laughs> Uh, but I think at the end of the day, that, that doesn't matter, right? Whether or not he's a Christian doesn't matter because it, it's not about him being a fake Christian. It's about him creating a situation that tortures vulnerable people. Yeah, That's totally. what's bad. <laughs> exactly. The, the hypocrisy, wh- who cares? Like, we're all hypocrites one way or another, you know? And it's not to excuse it or to say that uh, this means that Jesus would or endorse Pence. And, you know, th- nobody's saying that. But I think it just changes the terms of, of conversation and also the terms of organizing. Yeah, I think so. It it also means that, like, you know, if we're willing to just say that, okay, Mike Pence is a Christian and he's doing something extremely bad right now. Mm-hmm. Um, if we claim him as a Christian, it means that Christians can, like, deal with the problem, too. Yeah, for sure. Right, because, like, whose problem is he if he's not a Christian? Like, (laughs) what, is someone going to arrest him? Is, like, a different religious group going to deal with him? No, if he's saying that he's a Christian, like he is right now, Mm -hmm. and he's acting in this way, then, like, we should probably do something about it. We should figure out ways to organize against him specifically. Yeah, yeah. Not to kick him out of the church, but to, like... yeah. Give him a swirly in the bathroom. <laughs> to just give him a big wedgie next time he walks by your pew or whatever. Like I don't, I don't know, but like he's he's a Christian problem. He's a he's yeah. a problem that Christians made and that Christian thinking makes, and that um, that like we should just take responsibility for. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean, especially thinking about this 
today is important because the day that we're recording this is also the day where it was a day of Catholic action. Right. Um, and it wasn't just Catholics. There were lots of other people, too. There was a, a lot of um, Jewish activists and other Christians and other people there. Um, but it was, in, in my own circles, the Catholic Day of Action is what's getting a lot of press. And if you didn't see, there was all kinds of priests and nuns and religious and lay people who are Catholic who were at the Capitol to make it clear that they were not okay with the detention of immigrants. And they drew on a lot of really interesting Christian imagery, and they brought pictures of children in detention, all this kind of stuff to try to provoke something. And a bunch of them got arrested, etc. And I think what's really good about that is that not it's not just that these people are demonstrating a, a true Christianity or something against yeah. the fake Christianity of Pence. It's that they're demonstrating a different way of Christian engagement with migrants, right? It's one that says you shouldn't detain these people. That's a better Christianity than the Christianity of Pence. Absolutely, yeah. But it's not a truer or... Uh, More or, authentic. Yeah. Historically yeah. connected or whatever. That's, right. No. Right. Genealogical, like... Deriving authenticity, authenticity from historic, like historicism or genealogy is um, a bad way of thinking. Yeah, exactly. I think it's much more honest for us to just say we want this Christianity and not the other one. Yeah. So we're going to build this one and dismantle that one. One time, okay, this is a, a wild aside, but I think it proves the point. One time I wrote this paper, I took this class that was about the history of Islam. Okay. Completely out of left field. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I said this one thing that uh, suggested that something, because something was older, it was more true. And guess mm. what my professor said? That's not true. <laughs> so just because something seems older or ancient or it's couched in the language of like, I don't know, of spirituality or um, whatever, doesn't mean it's more true or something, mm -hmm. right? Like the the Christianity of like the like Constantine or whatever isn't, isn't good or more authentic just because it's really old. Right. Yeah. And even, you know, the Christianity of like the apostles is yeah. not more authentic. Like there were struggles in the early church over what it meant to be a Christian. And I mean, anybody who gives an honest reading of the Bible, like there's so many moments where Paul's like, uh, I don't know what to do with this. Like some people are saying that they're like following me. Some people say they follow Peter and he's like, don't you know, we all follow Jesus Christ. And it's like, good for you, Paul, but probably that didn't solve the problem. I mean, clearly <laughs> it didn't because there's lots of Christians running around today. Yeah. So all the way from the beginning, right? Christianity as a social movement has had all the same problems as every other social movement. Uh, we can't get it together all the time. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we have the luxury of saying, well, we're not you know, we don't accept those other people as Christians. Like, we have to yeah. accept them as, like you just said, a, a Christian problem. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's kind of interesting because, okay, we've been, I mean, we've been talking a lot about Mike Pence and Hillary Clinton once. Yeah. <laughs> They're problems. Yeah. <laughs> They're bad. We don't like them. Get out of sure, here. Sure, sure. Um, or get in here and let us give you a swirly. I guess <laughs> that's kind of that, that big point that I made. Yeah. Um, but, like, Mike Pence and, like, elected officials aren't our only problems, right? Like, they're uh, the... White evangelicals voted Trump in. And so did white Catholics and, you know, all down the line. Yeah, for sure. So um, it's not that, like, Mike Pence is the problem, that mm -hmm. he's the guy that we got to figure out. But it's also, like, everyone else. Yeah, totally. It's our communities, our, our problems. Yeah. That we need to try to figure out how to... Uh, <laughs> How to not just reform from the inside, but, like, abolish the structures that makes make them bad. Yeah, so not only do we need to take um, responsibility for Mike, um, that's, we're on a first-name basis now, after <laughs> I've uh, uh, been so mean to him, this, uh, we're just, I'm just gonna call him Mike. Yeah, fair enough. You know, not just taking uh, responsibility for Mike, but all the other, like, um, bad types of Christianity, all the other types of failures that we ought to recognize as such and, yeah, destroy. Yeah, and I think that's, too, where 
even the experiment of this podcast has been illuminating for me anyway of trying to talk to so many other people who are coming at this problem implicitly maybe mm -hmm. one from from one direction or a different direction from biblical studies or theology or anthropology or something like that it's a thing that everybody kind of has to be experimenting with all the time because as we ourselves as progressive or lefty Christians try to think about this, we're also reproducing all these patterns of thought that are Christian ways of excluding. I always think about that thing that Amoria told us uh, in her own, um, in the episode we did in her own reading of that Paul verse uh, in Galatians, um, where it's the one progressive love, right? There's no uh, male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, because you're all one in Jesus Christ. And she's, she was like, yeah, people love that verse, but like the end of it's really dangerous. All one in Jesus Christ means if you're not in Jesus Christ, well, you don't get all these benefits. Right. And also, once you get in there, like, sorry, but they don't go away. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> in Christian communities, the, these things get reproduced all the time. Uh, so we have to think a lot harder about how, even the way that even the things that we seize on in progressive Christianities can reproduce patterns of domination on purpose or not. Yeah, totally. Um and I'll, yeah, it's, it's just a good point out, too, that like um, just because now this com we've had this big meta conversation about <laughs> Christianity, it doesn't mean now that like now we'll just do it right. No, it yeah. means that we'll keep screwing it up. Yeah, forever. yeah, exactly. Like it doesn't mean now we take up arms knowing full well yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that the Mike Pence Christianity must be destroyed. Right. It's like uh, now we <laughs> now we understand that like. We're all going to mess up and like, oh, no, we better, <laughs> we better keep working on this. Yeah. It's the fear and trembling thing, I think. I think so, too. Yeah. You have to you do have to come at it with fear and trembling because you don't know exactly yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Marika stuff. Super helpful. Um, yeah. Also, just one more prompt for thinking, right? Yeah. One more prompt for thinking. Cool, man. Think about all these episodes that we've done where we've gotten a lot out of Amaria and Marika's work. It's a lot. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for writing these things that we can make a lot of content about. <laughs> We've done a lot of content production here. Yeah. And I think we can be pretty proud of it. I think so, too. Um, so we're going to actually kind of keep exploring this idea formally or informally for a little while over at least the next episode. Maybe a few more down the line, too, but definitely the next one. Um, we're thinking about some different ways of working with the Magnificast to, uh, I don't know, stay with the theme longer than just pivoting to like a book we're reading or a person we want to talk to. Uh, and so at least next week, we're going to talk to Tad DeLay about a book he wrote about evangelicalism and why evangelicals think really weird stuff. Yeah, it's a pretty cool book. I'm excited to talk to him about it. Yeah, it is. Um, we're 122 episodes in and we need to think about <laughs> what we're doing with this podcast. Yeah. Um, but it is really hard just because we're both so dang busy that's uh, true it is very easy just to pick like a book every week and yeah. like, get into it but maybe we can think of different ways to sustain the conversation to make them uh, more fruitful um, and not just historical yeah and it's a good time to to ask people i guess for some input if you have ideas or things that you think worked really well or didn't work on the show or could work better uh, feel free to email us at the magnificast at gmail.com Cool. Thanks for listening to The Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can uh, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash The Magnificast. So many people have been giving us money, and it's been extremely it's nice. nice and cool it's for really them. It's really nice. I, it's great. We have some big plans for that money, yeah. and, um, well, we'll tell you about it later. Not right now. <laughs> a different time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, anyways, the uh, intro music is by Mario Armstrong. The outro music is by The Illogical Spoon. Get you on the flippy flop.
There we'll swim with all creation Never get tired, never bored Don't worry, someday There'll be no dam between us and our Lord Jackson, keep your hoods up Keep your hoods up And you stay up late Jackson, you keep your hoods up Where you keep your hoods up and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early.